Well, it is a great delight to be with you this morning. It's been a little bit of a whirlwind in the Johnston house over the last month or so, but we have just gotten the sense that this, the, this door for ministry has been open and uh, just felt the Lord's pleasure in pursuing it. So there have been many prayers on our side leading up to this day, and I can't tell you how thrilled I am to be here. Um, but I want us to start off my first uh, opportunity to do ministry with each of you the way that I would hope all of our time would be spent, and that is going to God's Word. So if you would, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 1 through 4 this morning. That's Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. I'll read it, and then we will study it together. Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Would you pray with me briefly? Father, would you give us open ears to receive your word? Would you allow the word to travel from our ears to our hearts? And would you use the seed of your word to implant within us your will for us? Speak to us this morning. We ask you to do this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Riding Rockets is the name of a biography written by a guy named Mike Mullane. Um, he's in the International Space Hall of Fame for having piloted a total of three NASA space shuttle missions, spent over 300 days total in space. Mike grew up during the height of the Cold War staring up at the black New Mexico sky, watching satellites and rockets and just dreaming that one day he might get to go walk amongst those stars himself. From an early age, he decided, this is what I want to do. I want to become an astronaut, and I'm going to devote myself totally to this task. So he did everything needed in order to put himself in a position for that to happen. He got into the military. He got a job as a military test pilot. Uh, which I'm told is not great for life insurance rates, by the way. Um, he worked his way through round after round of training and round after round of interviews until finally he was accepted into the program. Little did he know that he still had years and years ahead of him and many opportunities for this whole thing to both metaphorically and figuratively go up in smoke before he would finally achieve his dream. One day in 1980, Mike Mullane rode a rocket off of this earth. This is what he wrote in that biography about that moment. He said, uh, as the boosters were dropping away, he said, there were still a few thousand things that could kill me, but their threat couldn't tug me away from the moment. I stared into the black and watched images of my childhood play in my mind's eye. I had achieved a dream of 10,000 nights. I was an astronaut. Can't help but love a story like that, can you? It's as American as apple pie. 
someone to find a goal worthy of their whole life pursuing it, achieving that goal, and then along the way, discovering who they are to boot. Can't help but love a story like that. Why do we love stories like that so much? Is it just because they're familiar? Or is it because deep down within each of us, we wish that that story would be true of us? Oh, not that you necessarily want to ride a rocket like Mike Mullane. I doubt many of you are that type of thrill seeker for my limited interaction. Uh, maybe a few of you will, will get to know each other better, don't worry. But I think that each of us, if we're honest, deep down, want for our lives to have a goal worthy of our full life pursuit. And it'd be wonderful if along the way we found out who we were as a result. You, you can see this dynamic in your heart by looking at the flip side of this, not when you're feeling like everything's great, but the times where you're not so happy. Um, none of us like to be in a job that could be described as a dead end. None of us want to be in a relationship that's on the quick track to nowhere. So is it any surprise that spiritually we wouldn't like the thought of just spinning our wheels, not really making any progress, having no discernible goal in mind? See, all of us were made to pursue something. And as Christians, even as a congregation, we need to have straight in our minds what we're all about and what we're getting after. Well, the passage in front of us this morning from Colossians speaks to this very dynamic of the human heart. It shows us that true joy and peace and all the things that should come from our life with God can only be found when Jesus is your whole life. We'll see that as we move through this passage in two sections. In verses 1 and 2, we'll see that this new life, when your whole life is about Jesus, one of the things that marks it is that Christ is now your pursuit. That's in verses 1 and 2. Then when we get to verses 3 and 4, we'll see that the way this new life, pursuit of Jesus, is possible is because Jesus gives you your very identity, that Jesus is your identity. But before we get there, we need to understand a little bit about the book of Colossians. On a day where you, uh, a new church is being planted and the, all the excitement of ministry is behind you, um, where you can feel the wind in your proverbial sails for the Lord, it's, uh, the, the letter to the Colossians is very fitting. It, uh, it's really a letter written from a church planter, the Apostle Paul, to a young, discouraged church that he had never met. See, Paul was uh, going around uh, Europe and what we call uh, Asia today, planting churches. And along the way, a guy named Epaphras heard the gospel from Paul and responded Epaphras then went on a separate way from Paul. He went off on his own into what we call modern-day Turkey and back to his hometown of Colossae. And Epaphras did what Christians have been doing for thousands of years now. He told anyone that would listen about Jesus. And guess what happened? A church was born out of Epaphras' sharing the gospel. Now, all this is happening without the Apostle Paul ever hearing about it. He probably wouldn't have ever heard about it if something came up that Epaphras realized he was out of his depth to deal with. Some teachers popped up that started discouraging the church, telling them the message they received about Jesus wasn't sufficient for the life with God that the Colossians craved. They needed Jesus plus some spiritual add-ons. 
Epaphras realizes he needs help. He goes looking for Paul, probably finds him somewhere in Rome, and says, Paul, there is this church, praise the Lord. But Paul, this church is in trouble. Can you help me? Paul rejoices at the news and and writes this letter, designed to help a young church set its eyes and its heart on the only thing that really, really matters, on Jesus. As we study the passage before us, we'll see that the Christian life as individuals and as a church, can only succeed, can only be fruitful when it's all about Jesus. Let's look with me in verses 1 and 2. Let's look at this first section, how Christ is now your pursuit. Now, there are some things in life that are difficult decisions to make. I know they're not open on Sundays, but when you go to Chick-fil-A, you've got to decide what you're going to order. That could be a difficult thing. Deciding what house you're going to live in, deciding who you're going to spend your time with, deciding what school to send your children to. These can all be less than clear decisions to make. But for a Christian, one decision should be crystal clear. What should your life be about? What should be your pursuit? The answer should be Jesus. You can see that there in verses 1 and 2. Paul gives it to us with two commands that are really two shades of the same color. The first is to seek the things that are above, and the second in verse 2 is to set your mind on the things that are above. Now, that first command, seek, carries with it the idea of active search, someone that is looking for something. Uh, It's a metaphor used to describe that which your heart desires most. Paul says you are to be seeking things that are above. And then he describes where that above is, where Christ is in heaven. Now, we could misunderstand what Paul is saying here as if we're supposed to be seeking out some sort of heavenly treasure. Uh, Maybe like a a really nifty heavenly coat or a nice heavenly goblet. But that's not what Paul has in mind. These things are only worth pursuing because they are with Jesus. Jesus why that phrase is there. They are with Christ, the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. See, the main thing that a Christian needs to be after, as simple as it sounds, is Jesus. There needs to be an active pursuit, an active seeking out of Jesus that marks the Christian's life. Now, that is a little vague, I realize that's metaphorical language. What exactly does it mean to seek Jesus out? He's not physically here in Castleton where you can go knock on his door and talk with him. Well, that's where the second command comes in. It's a slightly different shade of the same color that clarifies what Paul has in mind. He says that they are to set their minds on these same things above. See, Paul here clarifies what he's talking about happens in the arena of the mind. So much of being a Christian is simply learning to think the right thoughts. Uh, Early on, when I got in ministry, I had an opportunity to sit down with someone that I had really been looking up to, uh, read books of theirs. I I knew that they had been uh, uh, walking with the Lord Jesus for decades, longer than I had even been alive. And uh, this guy was very gracious to get lunch with me. I sat down with him and I said, uh, you know, you've been a Christian for so long. And the Lord's done so much in your life. If you could go back in time and talk to someone in my position, you know, just been a Christian for the last 
four years or so, new to ministry, what would you tell yourself? He thought about it for a second, and then all the grace he could possibly have in his eyes, he looked at me and he said, Tommy, you need to know that the battle for your faith, the front line for it will be in your mind. Now, this isn't a form of metaphysics that says when you think the right thoughts, things come into being and you get the right result. This isn't like the prosperity gospel. It's just an acknowledgement that your head, your heart, your hands, they're all connected. You are an integrated person. And the things you think about and the things you let your heart dwell on will influence your desires and ultimately will influence the things you do. Paul here paints this picture of a Christian that is pursuing Jesus by disciplining their minds to think about Christ, the things Christ wants, the things Christ desires, above the alternative, which is the flip side of the coin, the things here on earth. Now, this isn't a a call for us to leave behind the material world or anything like that. It's just pointing out that the world we live in is irreparably broken, that only when Jesus returns one day will we see the new heavens and the new earth and will it be totally free from the taint of sin. And that means that so long as our eyes drop from heaven where Jesus is and onto the circumstances and things around us, we will inevitably find our hearts wandering away from Christ. If we are to pursue Christ, we must learn to discipline our minds. Now, I would be doing spiritual malpractice if I didn't go here, because the rest of the chapter, Paul fleshes out what this means. So I just need to ask, brothers and sisters, what have you been thinking about this week? Have your thoughts wandered to places that they ought not to go? Have you entertained fantasies about sin of some sort or the other? Maybe it's less overt than that. Maybe instead of going to expressly evil things, your your mind has just drifted from the best thing to lesser things. This morning, this text should call us all to, to recenter our gaze back upward to the one who is worth our pursuit, to Jesus. Maybe this afternoon you spend a little time in prayer and ask the Lord to help you to do that, to recenter where your mind goes this week. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been trying your darndest to keep your eyes on Jesus, to keep thinking about him, but it's just hard. And you come in this morning and you're weary. I want you to hear that this passage of Scripture does not say that setting your mind and pursuing Jesus is easy. But it does say it's worth it. Maybe this week you need to find a Christian friend that will pray with you. You need to pray that the Lord would help you to just hang in there through a, a dry season. But let me just encourage you that it is worth the effort. Your spiritual sweat is not in vain. Jesus is worthy of your pursuit. Now, on a day like today, where the whole vista of ministry possibilities are before a congregation like this, We need to apply this to us as a church, too. I've been praying and asking the Lord what I should hope, if he should open the door for me to come here, what I should hope five, ten years down the road this place would look like and be known for. 
I think one of the ways you can tell if a church is pursuing Jesus as their greatest goal and ambition is whether that church is actively engaging their community with the gospel. It'd be very easy to end up saying we have a beautiful building, some wonderful programs, some great people. It's enjoyable to come here. It's, I, I get what I need by coming here. And yet, in our pursuit of Jesus to lose sight of the great commission Jesus has given all disciples and given this church specifically, what will it look like for College Church Castleton? College Park Church, excuse me, Castleton. I'm sure it will not be the last time that mistake's made. <laughs> what will it look like for College Park Church Castleton to be pursuing Jesus 10 years from now? Well, I'll tell you, one of the things it has to include is bringing the good news of Jesus to our neighbors as our first order of business. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like a tall order to me. I get excited by the thought of what the Lord could do in a community like, like this through people like us. And yet I also feel the weight of it. I know how frail my own heart is. I've seen how other churches have lost their focus and lost their way. Where can we find a foundation strong enough to sustain a pursuit like the one that I hope we're going to be after? Well, that's what Paul brings us to in verses 3 and 4. We saw how already how Christ needs to be the pursuit of our lives. Now we see that Christ provides us with our identity, that as a Christian, your whole life is about Jesus because Christ is your identity in verses 3 and 4. My daughter uh, loves Disney movies already, and so I uh, have the, the great curse of hearing them sung very loudly and off-pitch over and over throughout the day. Um, and I, I love Disney movies too, but th there's one that came out recently called Moana. Um, and if you, once you've kind of unpacked Disney movies a, a few times, you've come to realize they all have the same basic premise behind them. Uh, follow your dreams, be true to yourself, dive, dive deep enough into your heart, and it'll all work out in the end. That's the basic idea. So Moana's a little more heavy-handed than the rest of these movies with it. There's one point in the movie where she's singing a song about her identity as the, this seafarer, and uh, she reaches this point where she realizes that the, I, the call is not outside her, it's actually in her own heart. That's the words in the, the song. And she literally dives into the water and dives deep until she finds a stone which represents a heart. And it's like, okay, Disney, you've beat us over the head as heavily as possible on this. We get it. Follow our dreams. Be true to yourself. And that's what you want us to believe will lead us to fulfillment. Do you realize just how diametrically opposed the thought of your identity being discovered through introspection and diving into yourself is to what the Bible says about us? Paul here shows us that far from looking inside to find out who we should be, we are supposed to look outside to someone else, to the person of Jesus. He, he does so through a concept called union with Christ. He, he looks at it through three different angles using time, past, present, and future. And he shows how the whole of the Christian life is really about Jesus and your relationship with him. In the past, he starts by talking about our death with Christ. He says there right in verse 3, for you have died. 
Many times people think of Christianity as a religion that you climb one step of the spiritual ladder after another until you are acceptable to God. Paul says that the entrance is far different than that. The way in isn't up a ladder, it's into a tomb. See, if you're a Christian, it's because 2,000 years ago, there was someone who walked the streets of Jerusalem who went all the way to a criminal's cross, allowed himself to be murdered, being totally innocent himself. Why? So that he could be punished in our place. If you're a Christian, God did something amazing. When you put your faith in Jesus, he took your sin and your guilt, and he placed it on Jesus, and Jesus took the wrath of God for you and me. On that day over 2,000 years ago, you died. Not only did you die with Christ, you also were raised with him. That's what he said at the beginning of verse 1. It's kicked off this whole section. If then you were raised with Christ. When that, on that glorious morning three days later, when the power of God caused Jesus to pop out of that tomb, you were there with him. That same power is at work within you. It was at work within you the day you believed in Christ, when the Holy Spirit gave you a new heart and new affections that you would actually want him. But it's at work within you each day so that you can live for him. You were there spiritually when he popped out of the grave, and you are walking with him in the glorious reign of the resurrected Jesus every day. That was in the past. What about in the present? What's your relationship with Jesus have to do with how you are identified as a person now? Paul says that you were hidden with him. Right there in uh, verse 3, it says, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. My father is an airline pilot. He retired a few years ago, and so uh, that afforded me the opportunity to do quite a bit of traveling. And uh, seen a lot of parts of the world, experienced a lot of cultures, but top place I've ever been, most exciting thing I've ever done, was I got to go to South Africa and experience a safari. Um, For a guy that grew up in South Florida, that was a thrill. Um, Got to see lions, got to see elephants, one elephant a little too close for my my liking. Um, Got to see all sorts of different animals, but one of the fascinating things is the way they take completely uninitiated tourists like me uh, to go see these wild, dangerous animals. Uh, They put you in a Land Rover, and uh, you go driving around through the bush. Now, I was wondering when I saw the Land Rover how this was going to work, because you see, this Land Rover uh, doesn't have a roof, uh, it doesn't have any windows, and it does not have any doors. It is completely open. Uh, But don't worry, the park ranger has a gun, uh, a single-action rifle, that is unloaded and locked. (laughs) So how in the world do they do this without people dying all the time? Well, it turns out, they explained to us, uh, that as long as you stay in the Land Rover, you are utterly hidden. As long as you're in the Land Rover, the animals, when they look at you, even if they look you dead in the eyes, they don't see you. They see one big, smelly, loud animal that doesn't look all that tasty. (laughs) And the animals will leave you totally alone. They won't, you are totally hidden away as long as you were in the Land Rover. They said, now if you step out, 
Different story. Paul uses a similar idea here to say that believers presently are hidden away with Christ in God. You can imagine God opening up his coat and wrapping you up so that no one can see you. It's a place of safety and intimacy. See, you may have moments in your life where you feel alone or where you suffer some sort of indignity or where you fear for your safety. Yet at that very moment, you are closer to God than you could ever imagine. You are actually hidden away, perfectly safe in him. Past, present, and then future. Now Paul takes his telescope and looks forward to the great day when Jesus will return. He says there in verse 4, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul looks to that great day when Jesus will return no longer as a helpless baby in an animal stall. No longer as someone tacked up on a cruel Roman cross. But now when Jesus returns as the conquering glorified king, to which everyone on this earth will bow their knee and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, either as those who know him or as those who have been conquered by his power. Paul looks to that glorious day and he says, Brother and sister Christian, be reminded that on that day you will share in Christ's glory and reign. As hard as it may be to endure, as many times as it may seem like you don't matter and no one really cares about you, one day you will be able to see that it's all been worth it. That the eternity that you will share reigning with Christ outweighs it all by a million times and more. Brothers and sisters, do you see how totally your relationship with Jesus defines who you are? Far from looking inward to, to find what our dreams are or what we think about ourselves, we should care most about what God says about us. And according to this passage of Scripture, Christ is now your identity. You are beloved. You are an heir to all the things that Christ will inherit. And one day you will share in his glory. This week I wonder if you need to spend some time disciplining your mind to think about this reality of who you are in Jesus. Let me just give you a suggestion if you'd struggle to know how to do that. Memorize these verses. Four verses. You may not be great at memorizing scripture. I'm not. It takes me a lot of work. But I think we can all get through four verses. If this is something that you struggle with, having this truth in your mind, in your heart, will be something that God will use to strengthen your soul. I remember a day when this was not my identity. Uh, there are many things that I regret about my first 21 years of life. Um, I uh, had many opportunities to hear the gospel from about the age of 13 forward. Um, but in my rebellion, I did not accept it. In fact, I pushed it away. And uh, there are many things that I have had to go back and ask for forgiveness from people for, relationships that I've tried to mend. Some things that you just can't undo, though. 
But despite all of that, there's one thing that I am so thankful for about being around the age of 21 when I became a Christian. It's that I can remember how I used to think. I can remember how I used to think about myself. I can remember the lies I used to tell myself. I found a way to justify every bit of my behavior. These people are the ones that are the problem. They're the ones that are mistreating me. That person's not worth my time. That person deserves what I gave them. Do you know when I became a Christian, I had a lot of growth to do. But one of the most freeing things that occurred was the day I realized that my identity was no longer about me. It was actually about Jesus. I had some really hard conversations to have. I, I went back to talk with friends, virtually all of them who were unbelievers, who assumed that I had been a Christian this whole time and who I had to try and apologize to and convince that something had, spiritual had happened. I had some people say some pretty nasty things to me in return I probably deserved. But do you know what let me do that necessary step of walking in pursuit of Jesus? Is that the Lord was so gracious to root my identity in him. I could bear the shame of a friend telling me that I was wasting my life. I could bear the shame of being pushed away by people that I loved. I could risk losing a few relationships because I was secure in the one that I had with Jesus. What would allow us as a congregation to be after this pursuit of Jesus with a, a dogged determination that it will last for years? Brothers and sisters, I think the only thing that will do that is if we as a people and you individually find your identity totally in Jesus. If you want to be known as people that are followers of his, if you find your safety and security because of your relationship to him, and if you are looking forward to that glorious day where you will share his reign, then you'll be willing to poke your head over the fence and say hello to your neighbor. You'll have the strength to be thought of as the odd duck on the block because you keep on inviting people to church. And maybe, just maybe, the Lord will give you the great joy of seeing someone else find their new identity in Christ. As I've been thinking and praying about this ministry opportunity, my heart just sings at the thought of the gospel taking root in the neighborhood surrounding this church, of people who have never found this new life in Christ finding it for the first time, and for each of you, getting the great joy of being the one that plants the seed that grows up into eternal life. We've seen that, you're, that uh, this new life in Christ, that your life is to be all about Jesus, and that means that he will be your pursuit. We've also seen that this new life in Christ means that he is now your identity. Brothers and sisters, my hope is that this is what people will know us for. Whether we do everything else well or not, and I hope we do, do it well. I hope we will be known as people that their whole lives are about Jesus. I'm going to close with one of my heroes of the faith. Uh, I got a late start on theology and things like that, so when I got to seminary, I got to hear these stories for the first time. 
And a guy that I just latched on to was a guy named John Newton. Uh, you may know him. He penned the many hymns that we still sing today. Uh, one of them is very popular, Amazing Grace, um, pre pretty important song. Um, and Newton was uh, a guy that had quite a past. Um, he became a Christian uh, while he was an African slave trader. He would uh, go over, get slaves from Africa, bring them back to the West, sell them along the way. And uh, regrettably, even after he became a Christian, he still engaged in the slave trade for some time. He didn't realize that that was not something the Christian could do. And uh, when he came to the realization of what he had done, it undid him. And the rest of his life, he devoted himself wholeheartedly to the ministry. He became a very prominent preacher and hymn writer, and he fought tooth and nail against the slave trade. After a life that everyone who looks at it objectively would say, this was a man totally sold out for Jesus. His whole life was Jesus. Near the end of his life, he realized that um, people were going to start saying things about him after he was gone. And he was worried that people would say things that weren't necessarily true. So he went ahead and wrote his own epitaph. Uh, wrote what was going to go on his gravestone, essentially. And uh, a few, few weeks after he wrote it, he passed away. So this is what's on his gravestone to this day. I want you to see how this man's whole life was Jesus. It says, John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Brothers and sisters, I don't know many of the challenges that the Lord has ahead for College Church, Park Church Castleton, but I do know that if your life and the life of this place is all about Jesus, then that'll be a life worth living. Let's pray. Father, what a, a weight to think that you might call us to with every fiber of our being to pursue Christ, both as individuals and as a church body. Father, we confess our inability to do this out of our own strength. We confess how fickle our hearts are, how quickly we set our eyes on the things of this earth rather than the things of Christ. And yet, Lord, when we're reminded of what we, he has done for us and who we are in him. We know we have a sure foundation to support this pursuit. Would you now use us, use this place and this people, use us to pursue Jesus in the community you've placed us in Castleton. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.